Go ahead and locate Joshua 24. Uh, but as I was looking at it, it became impressed upon me and relevant. I'll make sense of it here in a second. But there's a number of places. Happy birthday, Shelley, before I erase that. When I was in youth ministry, I used to make students that had their birthday on the day we met sing to themselves. Do you want to sing to your... Nobody ever wanted to sing to themselves, but it was something I made them do. It was fun. Yeah, I got a kick out of embarrassing other people when I was a youth pastor, so. Uh, yes, I got to live with her. Um, certain locations hold certain significance. Okay, certain locations hold certain significance. They have the ability to draw us to visualize the past. Like standing in a location can, can stir your memory, can stir your imagination, and, and you visualize the past, but it can simultaneously um, stir up emotions from what we see. Okay, let me give you an example. Um, for me, um, one of the significant kind of places from my teenage years, when I still go back to the Saline County Fairgrounds, right, it's... It, it, causes me to visualize my past. When I go to the, to the rodeo arena and we walk behind the buck and shoots, it's like the smells, the sights, the sounds. When I go back there, it causes me to visualize uh, me and all my friends competing in high school rodeos behind those buck and shoots. It causes me to remember uh, being a, um, riding in the, in the rodeos uh, when the Saline County Fair was in town, right? Some of, those are some of the uh, fondest memories that I have as a, as a teenager. And when I go back there, it still causes me to visualize all those things, right? And it stirs up the emotions of, uh, of everything that I got to experience in that season of life. Now, the twist of it is, is like when we go back now, Justice wants to go back and he wants to ride the sheep, in the rodeo, he wants to compete in the mutton busting. And so when I go back behind the chutes now and I take my son with me, it's like there's a whole nother emotion that's stirred up, right? Because when I go back and I'm standing behind those bucking chutes, I'm thinking about everything that I've got to experience, everything that I've got to go through. And now when you put my son on the back of the bucking chutes, now my emotions and my imagination go even more crazy. And I begin to envision all the things that he will do as he grows up into a young man. You know, and it was the first time that uh, he's, he's competed in the sheep riding twice. And I've got to say, the first time that I lifted him over the buck and chutes and I lowered him down in the same buck and chute that I used to come out of as a bull rider, it's a very surreal moment to go through that. Certain places have certain significance in our lives, right? Um, can you think of a location holding significance for you? And is there somewhere that as I tell that story, you're like, this certain location has this certain significance? Yeah. 
Yeah. So the same woods that you grew up roaming and playing, and you go back with, with family, and you play with the next generation. It's like something so simple, but that certain place has a certain significance to stir your imagination, your memory, and your emotion. All right? Anybody else? Uh, yeah. Kind of special, yeah. Yeah. It's a good memory when we go down to see all them pines growing. Yeah. Well, it's a good memory after. <laughs> <laughs> that sore back from digging all them holes and everything that goes with it. So here's the deal. Sometimes you can stand in a in a specific location that has a specific a certain significance. Um you can stand and visualize the past before you were there. Sometimes you stand in certain locations with certain significance, and that significance comes from a time before you. So when I stand here, this place has a certain significance in my life, right? To, to imagine that I'm standing in the exact same place that my grandfather stood for 30 years as he became a prominent member of this community by having a jewelry store at this very address. That's a certain significance from this certain location for me, that, that the, the, the same door that my grandfather walked in every day for 30 years to become a key part of this community, right? And, and as I hear stories from countless people that say it was that same door that he walked these same streets to walk home every day for lunch, to have lunch with my grandma. She would fix lunch every day and she would fix a pie every day. I don't know why my wife doesn't fix it. No, I'm just kidding. I, I don't even wonder that. No, I don't. I don't wonder that. But my grandfather walking the same streets in the same location to share that lunch with my grandmother every day. It was this same address in the same room that my kids are playing right now for a short season my mom lived in. Right? While they were in between homes. None of that is relevant to me because all of that took place before I got here. But when I stand in this place and I allow my mind to visualize the significance of this place in my life, right, it makes the moment for which we stand here even more significant. Um, the things which began, it, it's, it's a... When I stand here, this is what begins to happen. I begin to see my life as part of a multi-generational story. So much of our life, whether it's the woods or the rodeo arena or whatever it is, you see in context of your own life. But there's something that shifts, for me at least, when I stand in a place like this of significance and I see my own life in light of a multi-generational story that continues to unfold. That's almost more astounding, more significant, more emotional than standing in a place where I've done things. Now I stand in a place where my grandfather started a story and I get to continue to progress that story. Right? Um, the things which began with my grandparents continue to be fulfilled in me, strangely enough, as I live in their home and as I pastor in his store. Right? 
both of those things happen without a conscious effort. But it's a multi-generational story. So the location in Joshua 24, where Joshua uh, is gathered all of Israel, and, and the location in which he did this and he had this conversation holds a certain significance. Able to draw um, those who are present to visualize the past, to stir their emotions from what they see. I think where Joshua gathered in 20, Joshua 24, where, they, where he gathered to give this talk was intentional and significant in order to stir their memory and their emotions because of the significance of the place and the significance of the moment. Okay? Um, maybe not from their own individual experience, but they stood in a place of multi-generational story that would continue to unfold in their generation. They stood in a place that had significance in this multi-generational story. And it was going to continue to unfold with them. So there's three parts to this conversation that Joshua had with them. Three parts to the conversation he had. Um, actually, no, I skipped over something. Look at Joshua 24.1. Joshua 24.1. Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem and summoned Israel's elders, leaders, judges, and officers, and they presented themselves before God. Where did he gather them? Where was it? Just seeing if you're paying attention. Shackham. Okay. So imagine this. Shackham. It was a valley uh, between two mountains. Over here is Mount Gerizim. I'm going to spell that wrong so nobody spell check me. Uh, and on the other side, Mount Ebal. And then about 30 miles south, 30 to 40 miles south, Jerusalem. Okay, So he gathers them here in the valley town of Shechem. Um, Tyler and I were having a conversation this week when we were working, just processing the context of what was going on here. I scrapped everything we talked about, but what we talked about drew my mind to the history, which drew me to the significance of Shechem. Not that I scrapped it because it was wrong, but it was actually effective it, drawing out this thing that I believe is intentional. Uh, there's a lot of biblical significance to this city where they stood. But interestingly enough, Joshua gathers them under the oak at Shechem. So it wasn't just the significance of a city, it was the significance of a specific location in that city that Joshua gathered them and began to have this talk with them. Um, so, conversation under the oak is a three-part dialogue between Joshua and Israel. And we're going to look at those three parts briefly this morning. Three-part dialogue. In their final talk, before they settle in the homeland, Joshua drawing from the significance of the location to point to the significance of this moment. Okay, uh, so let's look at part one. 
Part one is Joshua recalls the history which brought them to the moment. Right. Joshua recalls the history which brought them to this moment. Uh, he goes through, if you look in chapter 24, Joshua gives this really long talk about all the history starting with Abraham and Abraham's parents, and then he goes all the way up to them. There's a lot of places in the scripture where they recap. It's kind of like an Old Testament survey course in a chapter. Um, but let me give you some highlights that come out of that and why it makes this oak tree location in Shechem so significant. Genesis chapter 24 um, Oh, no, Genesis chapter 12, sorry. Genesis 12, I want to read part of that to you real quick and draw your mind to why this is significant. Genesis 12 is when God reveals himself to Abraham. Abraham was without children. He had a wife. They were old. They were in their 70s, didn't have any children. And then God appears to him and says this to Abraham. Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and, I will, and you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. I'll curse anyone who treats you with contempt, and all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Okay, so God comes to Abraham, an old man, and he says, you are going to become a great nation. And through that great nation, I'm going to bless all people on earth. Right, an incredible promise. And then Abraham leaves, and then it says here, he leaves as God called him to. Look at verse 6. It says, Abraham passed through the land to the site of Shechem at the oak of Morah. Right? He passed through Shechem at the oak of Morah. And what does it say he did? The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I'll give this land... So he built an altar here to the Lord who had appeared to him. So here under the oak, God appears and Abe built an altar to the Lord. Okay? At the oak of Shechem. Um, Two generations later, anybody know the generations? Abraham, good job. So here we are engaging with Jacob in Genesis chapter 35. And we have in Genesis 35, 1, God said to Jacob, get up, go to Bethel, settle there, and build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. So he is commanded to, this is very shortly after he had had an experience with God one night. It says that he wrestled with God, Jacob did. God appeared to him. He had this encounter with God. And now God has told him, go to Bethel and build an altar to the Lord, to the God who appeared to you. And then it says, on his way, oh man, I didn't write that Verse down, where is it? Um, 
says that he, uh, where to go, where to go, where to go, where to go? So Jacob said to his family that were with him, get rid of all the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves, change your clothes. We must get up and go to Bethel. I'll build an altar there to the God who answered me in my day of distress. He has been with me everywhere I have gone. Then he gave Jacob all the foreign gods and their earrings, and Jacob hid them where? Under the oak near Shechem. Right? So God appears to Jacob, and Jacob buried all the foreign gods under the oak on his way to build an altar for the Lord in Bethel where he had been commanded. Okay? So we have obviously have kids. One thing that happens when you have kids, they go through preschool and they go through school, is they begin to bring home these activity sheets. These activity sheets, you're familiar with them, right? So it's got a list of pictures, right? And then on these pictures, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to pick out which one is different and which ones are the same, right? Supposed to be apples. Supposed to be apples. So which one's different? Other than the fact that they're all different because they're hand-drawn unique. Right? They're all different, but they're all... uh, The the banana is the same. I'm going to do one more so y'all can make fun of me. Right? I'm going to make this one a little harder because when they get out of... When they get out of preschool, they may bring something home like this. Now you're not just learning to recognize what pictures look the same, but now you're learning categories. That's a banana, in case you didn't know. So that's an apple. That's a banana. What are those? Good job. Good job. Anybody guess what that is? That's a carrot. All right, so now which one is different? Carrot because it's... It's what? Vegetable. Right. So you got three fruit, one vegetable, so the vegetable doesn't belong. So if you can get this, if you can grasp this concept, then that's a very valuable tool for biblical studies as well. Right? So when we go back to the passage... Um, what is the same about these events? Okay. The similarities is the oak tree. There's one other similarity that happens between Abraham and Jacob as well. Anybody know? Go and build an altar to the God who, the God who appeared to you. 
Not only that you saw, but the God who appeared to you. The God who appeared to you. Both of them, God revealed himself, chose to reveal himself to them. Both of them went to build an altar. Both of them had an experience either of building an altar or ridding themselves of the foreign gods under the oak tree. So these two altars serve as a witness for the God who chose them. Both of the altars serve as a witness for the God who chose them. Now Joshua stands in the same place that both of those men had very significant life-altering, directing encounters. Joshua stands in the exact same place, and he turns the focus to them choosing God. So the first two encounters at the oak were built around the fact that the two altars serve as a witness for when God chose them. Now Joshua stands in the same place and turns the focus for them to choose God. And he says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. So a certain place of significance leading to this moment. And he turns the script on them. They would have been familiar with everything I just shared with you. They would have come to this. And now say, God chose you. Now who are you going to choose? Right? And there's a significant moment that Joshua does by drawing off of this location. Part two of the conversation, part two, Joshua recalls the history which brought them to this moment. Part two is the dialogue part. Israel recalls the history which brought them to this moment. Right? Joshua gave them this big grand speech and said it started with Abraham. He built an altar here in this area. And then he goes to Jacob. He says on his way to build an altar, he buried all his foreign gods here in this area. Now you choose whom you're going to serve. Are you going to follow the pattern of Abraham and Jacob? Or are you going to choose something else? And then Israel's response is in Joshua 24. And they, once again... Recall the history that brings them to this moment. And it happens in verse 16 through 18. The people replied, We will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. For the Lord our God brought us and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery, and performed these great signs before our eyes. He also protected us along the way, and we went among all the peoples whose land we traveled through. The Lord drove out before us all the peoples, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will worship the Lord because he is our God. The history that brought them there is, number one, set free from slavery. Number one, they were set free from slavery. Number two, God performed many Signs, many great signs and miracles were performed along the way. Number three, God protected us. We have seen how He protected us. Number four, He has defeated the adversary. The ones who stood against us, God has struck down and defeated. Why would we choose? This is what brought us to this moment. This is our history. 
that brought us to our oak tree moment. Heaven forbid we choose anything other than the God who's done this for us. So we turn that script around and we turn the history around and we ask ourselves this morning, how has God brought you to this moment? So think about what God has done either in the years that you've been alive or you can back up and view your multi-generational storyline that you're a part of and how has God brought you to this moment right here today with us? How has he set you free from slavery? How has he performed many great signs in your life or in your lineage How has he been a protector to you to get you to this point? How has he defeated the adversary in your life, in your family, in your lineage? What is it? How has God brought you to this moment? What's the story that you have to tell? Think about those four categories and and what would you say? When we think about slavery, Scripture talks about our slavery to sin. That apart from Christ, we're all slaves to sin, and in Christ, we've been set free. How has He done these for you, either in your life or in your lineage? She said, you would not be where you are right now without those roots. Mm. Those are your roots. You need to be thankful for them. So I always think, where am I? Yeah. That's the story that brought you to the moment, right? It's not a perfect story, but it's, it's your story, and it's how God's brought you from A to B. And I would say in that moment, you're like, look at what he's done to take. So there's those that are, and I think some of us, when we're born and raised in like a strong and secure faith, sometimes it's hard for us to recognize the redemption that God has brought in our life. So when you start in a place and you're like, I'm glad I'm not there anymore. But if I can recognize the redemption story that God has brought through, then now I can value where I was. Even though I would, I would never choose that. I can value where God has brought me from there to here because it's, it's, it's setting us free from slavery, protecting us, defeating the adversary. Right. So what would you say? What, how has he done these in, in your life to bring you to this moment? And I would say in your life or in your lineage. Josh, I would say for me that um, you know, I'm grateful for my parents sitting there. There was a degree of, um, I guess I would call it faith. Um, 
sure what my motive, their motivation was considering what I saw in their lives or what I would reflect back on. But I'm grateful mm -hmm. for that I have a knowledge of God. I mean, I see people today who don't even have a knowledge of who God included. Mm -hmm. salvation was through him and yeah. um, throughout my life though I guess for me the biggest thing is that um, I so much needed to have a, I was so independent for most of my life I, I needed to, to get to the point where I realized a real true realization that I need I need God I would so all of my history is, is just that, that how much I sense every day my need for him. Yeah, he's the protector from the adversary. Should you get away from him, you're you're at risk for being consumed again. And and he's the one that we need. If if he's not our defense, then we are defenseless. Right? And that's an incredible realization to come to. Um, as I think about my you know, it's one thing I I think about my grandparents that had this store and this and that, but I also think the other side of my family, and Micah asked me the other day something about my grandma and grandpa's. I don't remember if she asked what their names were or what, and I said, I don't know. She said, you don't know? And like, we hadn't crossed this bridge with my kids yet, but I'm like, no, I don't know my grandparents' name. I'm, I don't think I've ever met them when we talk about my dad's side. Um, and Micah's just astounded by that. Well, there's a lot of alcohol abuse. There's a lot of addiction on that side of the family. And to think about that, and I'm like, wow. If I think about where I'm at, you know, I think about my multi-generational story. We, we look at the, the slavery that my dad's side of the family was set free from when it goes to his generation. Because if my dad had passed on and continued to walk in the slavery of his parents, then, then my dad would be an alcoholic. And my dad would be consumed by that. And then I would have wrestled against the same slavery that my grandparents wrestled against because my dad would have walked in the same thing and he would have had a high likelihood of passing the same bondage on to me as his child. But then I think about my grandparents who lived on the other side of the interstate who took my dad in to, in order to allow him and his brothers to be set free from the bondage that his parents were walking in. And you think about your multi-generational storyline and how it could have been significantly different had my dad continued to walk in the slavery of his parents or had my grandparents not been willing to take my dad in and raise him up for the remainder of his youth. And you say, well, that's, that's what's brought me here, that my grandparents were, were slaves to their addictions and it owned them, it ruled them. It killed them. It was the end of them. And I never met them because of it. 
But then my dad and his generation was set free from that because of the ministry and the protection of his grandparents and how God provided through that. And here I am, a free man, walking in the gospel, walking in joy and peace and freedom because of what happened two generations ago or what happened in my dad's generation to come out from underneath that bondage. You know, I don't, I don't wrestle with things and fight against things that my dad has seen and gone through because he was where that stopped. And you think about the lineage that's passed on because of that. Think about these people, and as they're standing here, they don't know what it's like to be slaves in Egypt. They only hear that we were slaves in Egypt. Right? We're, we're 40 plus years dismissed. We're 40 years dismissed from slavery. We're, that whole generation that was slaves was dead at this point. This is a new generation that didn't know slavery. But they're like, when we look at our storyline, at our multi generational legacy, our parents and our grandparents were slaves in Egypt. But here we are, free men, about to enter in and settle into our homeland. We, we've, never, we've never felt that. Because it stopped at the last generation, right? Um, so, Israel recalled the history which brought them to this moment. And, and, and whether you speak up or whether you don't, I want you to recognize the history, either in your life or your, your lineage, that has brought you to this moment, right? Uh, part three of the conversation... Part three of the conversation is Israel saying, from this moment we choose the God who chose us. We're going to choose the God who chose us. Um, Joshua 24 and verse 26 says, Joshua, um, or go verse 25, on that day Joshua made a covenant for the people at Shechem and established a statute an ordinance for them. Joshua recorded these things in the book of law. He also took a large stone and set it up under the oak at the sanctuary of the Lord. So the nation says, from this moment on, we choose the Lord. We recognize that our story up to this point has predominantly been that God chose us. Now, we're making a conscious decision to choose the God who chose us, who put us, who brought us to this moment. Here we are, right here, and now it's, it's, it's laid before us, and we choose Him. We are going to worship the Lord in sincerity and truth. And then Joshua gets the stone, and he, he says, he writes all this down, everything that they said, and then he, he gets a stone, a large stone, and sets it up under the oak at the sanctuary of the Lord, the same place, the same area where Abraham had built the altar who, to the Lord who appeared to him, where Jacob had buried all the foreign gods because the Lord had appeared to him. Now the Lord appeared to another generation, and they put this large stone as a reminder at the same place, the same area. Joshua said to all the people, you see this stone? It'll be a witness against us, for it has heard all the words the Lord has said to us. And it'll be a witness against you, so that you will not deny your God. 
That stone is a witness. It's heard. It's seen everything that just took place. And it's a reminder. It's a witness. It's testifying about what you said. It's testifying about what God said. And it's a constant reminder. We're going to put it right here so that when you see it, you remember what you said today, that you have chosen to worship the Lord your God. You are recognizing what brought you to this moment and where you're going from this moment. And we're going to put this as a witness right here. And then Joshua sent the people away, each to his own inheritance. That's what we live with every day. You hear a big noise, and then a pouty lip walks into the room. It's it's the same pattern every day. Okay. Um, So there's great significance that God chose to reveal himself to Abraham and Jacob. But there's also significance in how God chose together. Right? I want to recognize this. This is the turning point and where we go from here. That it says, it doesn't say that they collectively says, I will worship the Lord. It doesn't ever say a single pronoun. It says, we will worship the Lord, as in together. We choose today. We recognize today that we have collectively been chosen by God, brought to this moment together. It is not by happenstance that this nation gathered together. They had been brought together. They had been brought up together so that they could together say, we choose to worship the Lord. We will serve the Lord. And I think the same is true for us, that it is not just a random happenstance of events that we gather together, that we have been brought together. When you think about all who are a part of Salt County, I don't think it's just random. I think it's God choosing, bringing us wrapping us together. And so we have all, those who are here today and those who are not, have been brought together And it will be together that we choose to worship the Lord together, to serve the Lord together, collectively. Okay, We have been chosen and brought into this moment to be together, and it will be collectively that we move ahead together. Not individually. There's a collective movement that has to happen. Um, I asked myself what it would look like for us to roll our stone underneath the oak of Shechem, right? Because I think this is a place of significance. I think there's a multi-generational story that's unfolding here. We're brought into this place, which is strangely significant. It's got a story that goes beyond the fact that we had an open facility for us to take. It's like we got a call that says, would you like the space? We didn't pursue it. I just flippantly said, hey, if y'all ever move, I think that'd be a great fit for us. Two months later, we get a phone call. Do you want the space? And then the rest of the story unfolds. And it's, I, I, I just think that there's a significance to how God's orchestrating our story together. What would it look like for us to, in this place of significance, I believe a season and a moment of significance, what would it look like for us to roll our stone under the oak of Shechem, right? Come with me. But as I was prayerfully considering this week, what would our oak, what would our stone under the oak look like? And I I just believe God told me, it's like our Our stone under the oak is our sign over our door. 
about cedar. <laughs> <laughs> if I would have thought of that three months ago, I would have been. But I'm like, that is a witness that we have, number one, God's brought us together. He has chosen to, to knit us together as a family. He has chosen us for this city, to live for the good of this city, to bring his kingdom into this city in a, in a tangible way that is not being done. He has called us to fulfill a unique role in this city. And that sign over our door is a witness, number one, to us that we have chosen to do this, that we have recognized that we have been brought, chosen by God for this, and that we have been put here, and, and we have hung this sign as a witness to ourselves, as a reminder to ourselves that that's, this is the city for which we exist, and this is why we exist. But it's also a witness to our city that we have been placed here, put here, and it's a reminder to them for, for why we're here and where we are. Right? It's, it's, this is our, this is our witness. This is our stone. Every time we go and we enter in, we see it's, it's, we are the church for this city. We exist for the good of this city. And, and our city will drive by and, and it'll be a reminder of something for them as they do. Um, interesting. Before this church existed, at least 50% of the people in our church family were far from God and nowhere near a church. At least 50% of this church has not come from another church. They have come from being far from God and either disconnected or disgruntled with the church, whatever your story is. That is huge to look around and say, if we have a church of 40 people, that at least 20 of them have that story. Um, but now we have been brought together. Interestingly enough, people that have come from all over the place have been brought together to be ambassadors for Christ in this city. So it's not the fact that we're together, but we're together for a purpose. And that sign is our reminder, it's our witness of our purpose. Um, anybody remember in Joshua 3, Joshua began this journey with this group of people and he told them before they crossed over the Jordan, Shelly, you remember it's, it was part of Jordan's name and why we named her that. Now he says, Consecrate yourselves, sanctify yourselves, set yourselves apart right now. I'll do wonders among you. God gathered this group of, brought this, raised up this family of people in Joshua right before the journey began. He said, Consecrate, set yourself apart right now. Declare that you are set apart for this purpose right now. Sanctify yourself, cleanse yourself, purify yourself, and get ready because God's about to do miracles in and through you. And that's how his journey began. And what did it mean? What does it mean for us? And this is the last thing I got for you. To consecrate ourselves, I believe, means that we prepare ourselves. How do we prepare ourselves? We ask ourselves, what are the things in my life right now that are not aligning with the kingdom of God? I need to prepare myself, adjust myself. We're going to proclaim a message of uh, a gospel of faithfulness, of, of grace and of forgiveness and of joy and of peace. 
And you think about if that's the message for which we have for the city, then what is it within my life that doesn't align with that message? If I'm going to prepare myself to be used of God, to be, to be a part of the miracles that he wants to do in this city, then I need to prepare myself and say, what is it about my life that doesn't align with my message? Maybe there's some steps I need to take in order to get my life aligned with the message that we've been chosen to carry. Right? And the second thing is to position ourselves. To position ourselves. A long time ago, we talked about margin and we talked about the ready position. It's like in every sport, there's like this ready position where you can do anything. Like you can go left, you can go right, you can go up, you can go down. It's just that ready position in sports. And we have that ready position in our life that we're positioned to be a people of generosity with our time, with our resources, and with our hearts. Am I prepared to be used of God for the wonders that he wants to do in this city? Right? That sign is up, and it's there as a reminder to us of what our purpose is, and it's a reminder of our city that, that there's a church that exists here for them in this city. But we have to do the job as individuals to prepare ourselves, align our lives with our message, and then to position ourselves, be ready at all times to take advantage of the opportunities that come our way. That's going to be time, resources, and our heart. And if our time, resources, and heart are already consumed, then God cannot use us in this city. If we don't have any time, resources, or emotional space left in our life, then there will be no wonders done um, among us. It's part of our consecrating ourselves for Him and His purpose. Here we are. This is us, right? Not the TV show, but this is us. I believe God's chose every one of us to be a part of this. I believe that this space was a season in our journey where he has brought us to get present in our, in our city. This is not our destination, but this is a step in the journey. But if we're going to move on to our destination, into the promises that God has already established for us, I think we've got to consecrate ourselves, position ourselves, prepare ourselves, align our lives with the message that we believe and be positioned to be used with our time, our resources, and our heart. Because right? God brought you to this moment. He brought me to this moment. But it's a collective we. We're going to choose this together because not one of us can choose it alone. Make sense? Not one of us can choose this alone. This is a we. We. Different kind of we. Thoughts, questions, concluding thoughts.
want you to be encouraged. Now, if that, that number is like legitimately true. Over 50% of our people nowhere near a church when this journey started. That's the reason we started. That's the whole reason we started. Right? Because God gave me a burden to be more concerned about those outside the church than those inside the church. And then he gave us a vision to fulfill it. Now here's the twist though. It's, it's when those from outside the church become the church, now they become the ambassadors. And, and if we have over half of our people that were not in a church, then they're connected to a lot of people who are not in churches. Right? And you become ambassadors for Christ once, when you were once far from Christ. Um, so when you think about the journey and you think about the emotions of the seasons and all this and all that, I get to this season, I'm like, man, we are positioned to be like influencers in the city more than we ever have been before. And when I look how God's moved and placed and pulled away and all at the right time, it's good. You get to days like today where we're missing so many people, it's not that big a deal because I see the momentum and I see the movement of God doing things. Him choosing to position all things in place. It's good. God brought us all he chose us to be in this moment, but it's a we that move out of this moment, okay? We move out of this moment collectively, not individually. There's an individual response that takes place in you being prepared to go with us. And I said a long time ago when we were meeting in living rooms, there's some things only you can do and some things only we can do. Now, only you can adjust and prepare yourself, but only we can go together. God's going to do wonders. 